Welcome to Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and welcome to today's podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Master the NEC. My name is Paul Abernathy. It's where we talk about the National Electrical Code, all sponsored by Electrical Code Academy Incorporated, located in McKinney, Texas. That's right, McKinney. A couple years ago, we were voted uh, America, America's number one place, Money Magazines, number one place to live in America. Then we had a little bit of a mishap with our local law enforcement and a young lady near a public pool, and all of a sudden, we dropped from the list. I don't know what happened. I guess that's what publicity does for you. If you don't believe me, ask Charlottesville, Virginia. You'll see what it did to their rankings after the little incident last year, right? <laughs> anyway, welcome to the podcast. Um, today's episode, we are going to talk... Uh, a question was asked to me. Uh, I get this question quite frequently, so I figured we'd go on and talk about it, give you some insight to it, maybe discuss it a little bit, maybe it'll help you out, maybe it won't. Uh, again, as I always say, if you don't find these podcasts helpful to you, don't have to listen. If you do find them helpful, uh, then we appreciate you listening into them. Hopefully, you learn something. Um, so today, we're going to talk about the the familiar thing that you heard people talk about is redundancy, right? Redundancy when it comes to equipment grounding, uh, the low impedance fault current path when you're dealing with patient care spaces. Okay. Uh, healthcare facilities is on the topic today in, in Article 517. And so uh, we're going to talk about it. So the question that came to me uh, from an individual was, can I run PVC jacketed MC that was also a healthcare facility? Uh, it was HCF MC uh, product uh, that met all the rules that we're going to talk about in a second. Uh, but it was PVC jacketed, and they wanted to know, could they run that uh, to a dental chair? And so we'll get into that. And then the second question was, what if they were to run it in PVC over to the dental chair, uh, but then sleeved it inside of the PVC? Uh, in their case, they ran Schedule 80 over uh, because uh, they were worried, uh, worried about physical damage or whatnot. I, Okay. Neither here nor there about that. We'll talk about it in a second. But um, so it kind of deals with those questions. And I get that question. You wouldn't believe at least a couple times a year. I, I do. And so I figured in the whole topic, we will talk about 517.13 A and B, uh, which is primarily dealing uh, with the aspects of. Uh, the grounding of receptacles and fixed electrical equipment in that patient care space. So we'll look at what a patient care space is. We'll touch on what a patient care vicinity is, uh, which is really not germane to this rule, but it's excellent to know what it is because you'll need to know what it is later, uh, especially if you're dealing with things like isolated ground receptacles in what is considered outside of a patient care vicinity. kind of helps to know what a vicinity is so you know when you're actually outside of it, right? Uh, so there's different aspects of the code uh, dealing with it. You're going to see some definitions that we're going to look at, which are very much uh, germane to 517 because they're in dot two. Now, now remember, if a definition's in dot two, then that means it's pretty much encompassed in 517. Whereas if it was something that's broadly used throughout other chapters within the NEC, then it would be moved over to, to Article 100. Uh, so I could tell you the ones that we're going to talk about today are going to be very much planted in 517. So um, if you learn these definitions, um, great. Uh, just know that you you have a source for them, and that's the National Electrical Code, and you just go straight into 517. If you want to know what a patient care space is, you want to know what a patient care vicinity is, uh, things like that. It's, it's pretty important for you to have a place to go. And you know, you can go to dot two. That's definitions. All right, so let's kind of go back to the scope here of 517 because we need to make sure, as always, that our application is dealing within 517. We're within that scope, and we want to identify that. Well, it's a dentist chair. Okay, so it's a dentist chair. And what I gather, it's a first floor 
uh, of a dentist, a ground level floor, and mm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of just going with the leap of faith here in this installation because I just answered the question for the gentleman. But um, based on his the information, you know, it was sufficient uh, for him. Uh, but assuming here that they're going to run the the uh, uh, the PVC underground under the slab and then come up into the dental chair area, wherever the connections get made under the dental chair. Okay. All right, so uh, I addressed this question, and so I'm going to kind of address it with all of you and use that as a kind of a, a lesson. Uh, now, by no means does this have to be specifically dedicated just to a dental office or a dental chair. When we start talking about patient care spaces, uh, it's very broad, and you're going to see the definition here in a second uh, when we, we get into the definition of it. So it's it's not something that only needs to be held within a dental office. This is just an example of the question it was presented, okay? So don't let your mind keep you locked into that concept here. It's very broad uh, when it comes into dealing with patient care spaces of a healthcare facility. Now, the scope says 517.1 is the scope. We always want to know the scope of what we're dealing with, make sure we're uh, working within the realm of, of, of the code rules that we're trying to apply. It says the scope, it says the provisions of this article shall apply to electrical construction and installation criteria in healthcare facilities that provide services to human beings. Okay, so these are not for veterinary clinics. Okay, these are also not for aliens. Okay, for all you that are just clicking over here from the sci-fi channel, that guy with the crazy hair. Um, look, we're talking about human beings. Okay, we're talking about you and me. Okay, well, some people have commented I'm not human, but uh, that's usually not a good thing the way they what they say but anyway we're talking about human beings and it says it goes on to say the requirements in part two and three not only apply to single function buildings which means it was just one pure healthcare facility but uh like a hospital but it says also intended to be individually applied to their respective uh to their respective forms of occupancy within a multi-function building for example, a doctor's examining room located within a limited care facility. So I might have an examining room, which these rules are going to apply in 517.10. We'll see that in a minute. But it also could be a limited care facility. So I might have one thing that's considered a doctor's office and doctor's examining room. And then I might have one portion of that building or that occupancy that might be considered a limited care facility. Okay, And they can work independently. Okay. It also has an informational note here that says the information concerning performance, maintenance, and testing criteria refer to the uh, appropriate healthcare facility documents. All right, this, uh, that kind of reminds me of something I want to tell you that you're going to see an awful lot here in 517. Okay, uh, 517. A lot of the information you're going to see in brackets after the actual definition or certain types of code rules, and it'll say 99. Now we see 99. Uh, and you'll see a code section after that. That just reminds you that the information contained within this definition or within this code rule, well, its genesis is from the NFPA 99 document, which is a healthcare facility standard. Okay, so in order to have uh, good unity with that document, uh, then what happens is it regurgitates that over into the NEC for good harmony between the NFPA 70 document and the NFPA 99 document. So you get to see here where a lot of these rules that might be in here actually originate and that's what the brackets are for. Okay, Okay. first things first, since we talk about the scope and it makes reference to a healthcare facility, we probably need to look at the definition of what a healthcare facility is. So good for us under dot two, we have a definition of what's considered healthcare facilities. So if you look, scroll down, and if you're following an electronic version, uh, it's on page 422 of the 2017 NEC. Uh, if you're in the paperback version, I believe it's 419 is the page. And here you'll see some changes in there. Uh, also note that those gray blocks uh, that are over certain words, that means that those were changes for the 2017 code. If you see an N in the column, to the left of, of, of the actual code reference, then that means that whole thing is new. Now, the reason it's not grayed out because it's new is because it didn't exist before, so there's nothing to gray out in order to show a change from a previous edition. And that's all new information. 
Okay, so you see that little end that just reminds you that it's new information. So in our case, we have healthcare facility. There's quite a few grayed out things here. Uh, and here's what it says what a healthcare facility is. It says buildings, portions of buildings, and we kind of used that example here a second ago, or mobile enclosures in which human, medical, dental, psychiatric, nursing, obstacle, or surgical care are provided. So this could be a mobile healthcare facility as well. So that was kind of introduced in the 2017 code by adding that language in there. Um, you also see that again added the word human because we're not dealing with animals, we're dealing with humans. Okay. Uh, previous cycles, it was really confusing for people. They really did think that this could potentially apply to a veterinary application. So, uh, so kind of clarity here, we're talking about human care, uh, human health care facilities, and that is the, the application of it. I might treat a veterinary facility no different than I would a commercial uh, facility. Uh, and in GFCI requirements and all those other things in order to protect humans, not so much to protect the animals. Okay, We'll let the Humane Society take care of that. We're just trying to protect people and property from the, the, the working with electrical uh, applications. So here, healthcare facility dealing with humans. Uh, clearly, we could always answer our question by dissecting it. And we could always go back to 99 for clarity because you see the reference to 99. But we know that our question dealt with a dental application or dental uh, facility. And obviously, a dental facility is considered a healthcare facility. Okay. All right. So the next thing we want to look at as far as our definitions is uh, an actual new definition. Uh, and you'll notice it on the right in same pages here. It says metal, uh, um, medical office. And then you see a dental office. So you can have a medical office, a dental office. Um, and basically what that is, is you're doing uh, procedures, examinations, or minor treatments with uh, local anesthesia, uh, sedation uh, that's involved with the treatment of the, uh, or the treatment or the procedure. And the key function here with the medical office or dental office is it does not render the patient incapable of its self-preservation, okay, if an emergency were to take place, okay. And there's also another caveat, that there is no overnight stays or any 24-hour oper uh, operations are not performed, whereas you perform an operation and somebody has to stay under a watch for 24 hours, things like that. Uh, so, dental office uh, is going to fall under this medical office, dental office. Now, why do we need this definition? Because it's going to come up later. Uh, and there's a reason why we have these definitions, because it's utilized later uh, within the code. The next thing that we want to look at is the definition, as we kind of tie all these things together uh, for today's lesson, is patient care space. So, what is a patient care space? So we're assuming we're in this healthcare facility. We have an area where patients are going to be examined, they're going to be treated. And in these areas where they're going to be treated, uh, this specific space, if you will. Oh, incidentally, it used to be called patient care area. But now it, it kind of is the thought of it was one little old area, whereas the patient care space encompasses any space of the healthcare facility where the patients are intended to be examined or treated. So an exam room would be a patient care space. A treatment room would be a patient care space. Okay? All right, so keeping that those type of things in context. Now, it also goes on to give us an informational note, which is kind of, again, there's two of them actually here, um, and these are important. Now, why informational notes aren't enforceable, they are certainly good pathways to knowledge when it comes to the NEC. You simply can follow them. They give you great insight. And so informational note number one says, you know, the governing body of the facility uh, designates patient care spaces in accordance with the types of patient care anticipated. That's their job. So who's the governing body? Now, that was a question that people ask for a long time. Okay, well, is the governing body the AHJ? Is the governing body the, the designer, the engineer? Did, I mean, do they really know? what a hospital or a healthcare facility needs to be utilized of this different spaces? Absolutely not. So in the 2017 code, 
we now have a definition of what's considered a governing body. And that gives us the kind of the oversight when the terms are used throughout the code. Who has the rule? Who has the one that makes the decision on what circuits are critical? What circuits have to be uh, life safety? or All these type of things. Uh, it's the people that know, right? They're the ones that are in the knowledge. And so here, and they usually will work hand-in-hand with the designers and and engineers and whoever's designing the facility. Uh, And so a governing body is the person or persons who have the overall legal responsibility for the operation of a healthcare facility. That might be the president of the hospital. That might be the head doctor. That might be able the, the, the main doctor who's on staff who has to make these decisions. Um, all of that, it's going to be assigned by the hospital or the healthcare facility or whatever it is. Okay, there's going to be some governing body. Somebody's going to be the one that has to make these decisions. Okay, not the AHJ. The AHJ, which is a deputy for the building official, is going to enforce the code, but he needs guidance. So I always encourage engineers to make it very clear on drawings whether or not something is a patient care space. Uh, but I also asked them to also a lot of times draw out what was considered a patient care vicinity. So once you're in this patient care uh, space, you now get to break it down into what's called a patient care vicinity. Now, what is a patient care vicinity? Okay, so once I'm in that patient care space, a patient care vicinity, and why is it important to know this? Because you have certain areas of the code where they're going to talk about within a patient care vicinity, obviously located within a patient care space, there's a you're breaking it down into smaller, more defined spaces. Okay, so a patient care vicinity is a space within a location intended for the examination and treatment of patients, uh, extending six feet beyond the normal location of the patient bed, chair, table, treadmill, or other device that supports the patient during examination and treatment. Okay, so wherever that is, a table, uh, examination table, whatever it is, treadmill during maybe an EKG diagnostic, whatever it is, the patient is involved with it and they're being examined or treated. So it goes out six feet from this location. Now, it also says, and there's an and in here, okay, it says and extending vertically to seven foot six inches above the floor. So if you think of this this actual space, this vicinity, it goes out six feet from the say an exam table, if you will, and then it goes up seven foot six inches. So I've got this total vicinity space here that has been defined as a patient care vicinity. Okay? And again, where is it? It's located within a patient care space. So the space could be the entire room. The vicinity is very defined, okay? It's defined from the treatment location out six feet and up from ground up seven in uh, seven foot six inches, okay? So that's the defining aspect of it. So you keep those in mind. Patient care space is the entire space. Uh, like a treatment room, an exam room, and the patient care vicinity is the portion that emanates out and up from it, if you think of this imaginary bubble, if you will. Okay? All right, so we're kind of on our road to define whether the dental office is a healthcare facility. I think we already determined that it was. Okay? So now we have to go down and look at the wiring and protection. So what is applicable? And so 517.10 says A, it says there's an A and a B. So the the applicability, it says part two shall apply to patient care spaces of all health care facilities. Okay, so part two is where it's going to put us firmly in the requirements of 517.13, that redundancy rule. Okay, so it, it is a patient care space. And it's going to apply. So part two shall apply to to uh, shall apply to patient care space of all healthcare facilities. And we already determined that in the definition of a healthcare facility, that a dental office qualifies based on what we have. Now, it does give us what's called not covered. Now, this is really really important. 
Because when it says not covered, it's reminding you that part two, which again is dealing with the redundancy rule that we're talking about, it says that shall not apply to the following. It's the business offices, the corridors, the waiting rooms, and the like in clinics, medical and dental offices, and outpatient facilities. Okay? So... The business offices where, you know, the, the doctors might go to do their business or do their reports, the dentist's office, their personal office, it's not going to require that to be any, that's not going to be a patient care space. Okay, you're not going to do any examining in there. I hope not. Um, so the business offices, the corridors, you're not going to examine people in the corridors. Okay, there is no treatments going to take place there. Okay, waiting rooms, no, they're, that's, they're waiting rooms. They're waiting to be treated. Uh, and, you know, again, the governing body can determine other like, okay, locations by their classification, okay? They're the ones that control the building. They're the ones that know. I, as an electrical inspector or a building official, you know, I don't want to play that game. I'm not the one that wants to define that space. You tell me what the space is, and then I'll tell you what the rules are of the code. Uh, there's a lot of people that want to write their own rules, and they want to act like a doctor, and they want to say, nope. I think you'll do treatment in that waiting room. Oh, I think there's a possibility that in an emergency, you'll do treatment in that corridor. Okay, look, if you want to play doctor, that's fine. I don't. Um, I'm going to let the people, I'm going to simply ask the people, and if I'm doing an inspection, for example, and nobody knows, then I'm not going to do the inspection. I'm going to look for the drawings. I'm going to look for the design, and hopefully the design engineer define this out. Um, I'm going to say, well, look, I need something from the, the design person, the governing body, to tell me whether this is the, obviously a corridor is a corridor. Um, I'm going to use those type of rulings. I am not going to make stuff up. I, I've never been one of those that make some kind of ruling of what was an area and what wasn't. Uh, I'm going to appeal to the people that design it, especially if it's a healthcare facility. Um, these are usually more detailed, okay, because of the number of receptacles that are required, the critical care aspects and, and all these types. I, I'm not going to get involved in that. So you tell me. But I'm just going to say that it's business offices, corridors, waiting rooms, anything that's similar or like that uh, uh, in clinics, in medical or dental offices, and outpatient facilities, they're not covered by Part 2. Okay, And Part 2 is extensive. Okay, So they're, they're going to follow all the other rules that are within the code, clearly. But they're not going to be governed to this rules that are in part two, which is more out to cover things like we talk about with the redundancy requirement. Okay, and then it goes on to another two. It says, item two says, areas of nursing homes and limited care facilities wired in accordance with chapters one through four of this code where these areas are used exclusively as patient sleeping rooms. Okay. So they're patient sleeping rooms. They're not treatment rooms. They're not exam rooms. They're just the patient sleeping areas. So limited care facilities and nursing homes, uh, these areas that are wired in a chapter one through chapter four, they meet all the general rules of the code um, in those areas, uh, and they're used exclusively. Their primary function is for patient sleeping. That's it. They're not treatment rooms. Okay. Again, one thing to remember, this is very much limited to nursing homes and limited care facilities. Now, if you want to know what the definition of a limited care facility is, uh, that is in definitions in dot two. And a limited care facility is a building or portion thereof used on a 24-hour basis for the housing of four or more persons who are incapable of self-preservation because of age, physical limitations due to accidents or illness, uh, or limitations such as mental retardation, developmental disabilities, uh, mental illness, or chemical dependency. Okay, So that's the type of treatment that's going to take place in a limited care facility. Okay, so you do have some allowances here uh, within those, but the wiring methods still have to be chapters one through four uh, in order to meet this rule and, and say, look, that's fine, but the areas that, that are used exclusively for patient sleeping rooms don't have to meet the requirements of part two. And that's what this is saying here. Okay, all right, so we kind of covered the gamut of that. But now we're going to move into the redundancy requirement that we see in 517.13. Now, here's what it says. It says, grounding of receptacles 
and fixed electrical equipment in patient care spaces. Now, again, that might be the exam room, it might be a treatment room, okay? But we've determined that that's a patient care space. It goes on to say that the wiring in a patient care spaces shall comply with 517.13 A and B. Uh, it's not A or B. It's A and B. Now, by virtue of how this works, A and B, uh, B is the redundancy to A, uh, but you're not really needing to assume anything other than if you meet these two rules, then you have met the rule. I tell inspectors all the time, don't overthink this one. Um, look for what it says here. Follow the rules. Make sure they follow these rules. Don't overthink the code uh, in these areas. Don't play doctor. Don't play governing body. Uh, apply the code as it's written. And this gentleman that sent me the email uh, was really concerned that running PVC jacket at MC that was rated for a healthcare facility, and yes, they do make it. Um, it's basically just a healthcare facility MC, which has the outer armor that's used as an effective ground fault current path in accordance with 250.118, meets all those rules. And inside of it, it already has an insulated equipment grounding conductor, which is already a requirement of MC anyway, uh, unless it's one of the smart ground type of products or uh, MCAP type of products, where it has typically a 10 gauge aluminum that makes intimate contact with the armor. And that's going to be used as the equipment granite conductor. And then I don't have any insulated equipment granite conductor inside of it. Um, incidentally, it could be insulated or bare inside of, of that type of smart product. Um, so in order to make it a healthcare facility, all you do is put the take the turn it into, let's say, a smart ground type of product. And then go ahead and put back an insulated equipment granite conductor. So now you've got the armor that qualifies under... Uh, 250.118 and now you have the insulated equipment ground in there which is going to be requir required by 517.13b so you're good to go and that's really why it's called healthcare facility. It's not healthcare grade or, or a hospital grade. It's basically healthcare facility. Okay, Rated means it's going to meet the requirements of 517.13a and b. That's really what it means. Okay. All right, so let's kind of look at So we'll, we'll answer the individual's question as we look through the code here. All right, so 570.13 is dealing with the, uh, the wiring methods. All right, okay. Now let's go down here and says, okay, oh, incidentally, let's go on and look at 517.12 because this is just says wiring method. It says, except as modified in this article, which we're going to see here in just a second, uh, which is a modifying of this article. It says, except as modified in this article, wiring methods shall comply with the uh, applicable provisions of chapters 1 through 4 of this code. So that means I'm going to apply 1 through 4 chapters generally um, through the code in this case. And obviously, 517 here, dot 13, is going to modify it a little bit. Okay? Uh, and it's going to restrict us to the type of wiring methods that we can use in these specific locations. So 517.13 says grounding of receptacles and fixed electrical equipment in patient care spaces. It says wiring in patient care spaces shall comply with 517.13A and B. Not one or the other, both. Now A is the wiring methods. It says all branch circuits serving patient care spaces. Now we're talking about the, the branch circuit. All branch circuits that are serving the patient care spaces shall be provided with an effective ground fault current path by installation in a metal raceway system or a cable having a metallic armor or sheathing assembly. So that's your first general introduction to this. Uh, notice it says all brand circuits serving the patient care space. Um, I had people ask me, could I take a regular MC uh, or something like that and then get to the area where I'm at the patient care space and then transition to uh, one that is a healthcare facility? And the answer is no. It says that the branch circuit serving the patient care space. So it has to be intact in the entire branch circuit, not just originate once you get to the patient care space. So that's kind of a bonus question because I get that one a lot too. Remember, it's saying all branch circuits that are serving patient care spaces, not just partially of the branch circuit. Okay. Now, the second part of this one is uh, where you get the meat and potatoes, if you will. It says the metal raceway system, the one that we just referenced, um, uh, metallic cable armor or sheath assembly 
shall itself qualify as an equipment grounding conductor in accordance with 250.118. Now, 250.118 gives us this list. And it has this list of all of the things that can be uh, equipment grounding conductors. All right, so you, you, you have a list, and this list is going to give you a complete detail of all of the things that, that can qualify. And so if you have your code book, you can go back and you'll look at it, and you'll see that basically it's copper aluminum, copper clad aluminum conductors, uh, and they can be bare, uh, insulated, um, or covered. Um, there's other areas. You know, while it says that the equipment granite conductor can be bare, insulated, or covered, you know that when we're dealing with 517.13b, it's going to specifically demand that it be insulated. Okay, So the general rule, which is chapters 1 through 4, that it could be insulated, covered, or bare. And this is a great example of where that, that uh, 517.12 said it uses chapter 1 through 4 until, unless it's modified. And, of course, immediately in 517.13b, we're going to modify that and require it to be insulated. Okay, uh, But just incidentally, just kind of going over it, equipment grounding conductors can be co uh, copper, aluminum, or copper-clad aluminum conductors. Uh, remembering that copper clad aluminum is still aluminum. Okay, just because it's got copper clad on it doesn't change the property and make it a copper conductor. It's still aluminum. It's just copper clad aluminum. Uh, rigid metal, intermediate metal, EMT, uh, LFMC, uh, in limited distances and in sizes. Okay, uh, is going to be capable of being an EGC. Very limited. Um, listed liquid flexible metal conduit. Again, very limited. Okay, there's uh, five items here, A, B, C, D, and E. You've got to meet in order for you to be able to use liquidite, uh, listed liquidite flexible metal conduit as an equipment granite conductor. Very limited. Again, not going to go into that. That's for another episode. Uh, FMC, flexible metal tubing. Excuse me, FMT. The difference. FMT, flexible metal tubing. Okay, because I just did five, which was f flexible uh metal conduit uh, and oh and four was electrical metallic tubing uh, god I didn't read those right so the first one was con conductors the second one was rigid metal conduit the third one's intermediate metal the fourth one's EMT the fifth one's uh, is uh, FMC the uh, the sixth one was liquid tight flexible metal conduit the seventh one was uh, flexible metallic tubing uh, and of course, limitations there again in the distance, six feet seems to be the flavor of those uh, tubing, flexible metal tubings or conduits. Um, armored AC cable uh, that is listed would qualify. Uh, copper sheathing on uh, MI cables uh, would qualify. Now, I don't see anybody does that anymore, but it would qualify. Uh, type MC cable provides an effective ground fault current path in accordance with one or more of the following. So you have an A and a B and a C. Okay, so A, it contains an insulated or uninsulated equipment grounding conductor in compliance with 250.118.1. Okay, and that is the conductors that we just talked about. Uh, you could have that in there, okay? But it could have more than that. And that's how we get the healthcare facility type of uh, cable. The second one, it says combined uh, metallic sheathing and uninsulated equipment grounding slash bonding conductor of interlocked metal tape type MC cable that is listed and identified as an equipment grounding conductor. So that's like the smart ground or the MCAP. Different manufacturers make the different kind. That's where you typically will see the a 10 gauge or even an 8 gauge depending on how large your, your healthcare facility or your smarter type of MC cable goes to. All right, and then of course the third one is the metal sheathing of a com uh, or the combina uh, combined metal sheathing and equipment granite conductor of a smooth or corrugated tube type MC cable that is listed and identified as an equipment granite conductor. Okay, so you've got these different options. Now, most of us when it comes to the healthcare facility, we're meeting the requirements of 250.11810B. That's what we're typically meeting. And in most cases here with the healthcare facility one, we're meeting both 10A and B because we're going to put an insulated equipment grounding conductor in there and we're also going to have the grounding slash bonding conductor in there, okay, to meet that rule. Okay, so that kind of gives you, you know, how that laid out. So in this question, 
The individual had a healthcare facility. We've defined that. It was a dental chair. It's on a slab. And he wanted to run PVC jacketed MC over to it. Well, if you just ran regular PVC in it, then you're going to have PVC jacketing. The armor would qualify to the first paragraph of the statement in 570.13a, but it doesn't meet the second paragraph. The first paragraph, it's obviously a cable having a metallic armor. That's true. But the armor itself has to qualify. Now, the armor will qualify in conjunction with meeting the rules that we just saw in 250.118. Okay? So it says the metal raceway system, metallic cable armor, or sheathing assembly shall itself qualify as an equipment ground detector in accordance with 250.118. And that's how we get that. All right? So if you didn't learn anything today, you know the difference with how us manufacturers make healthcare facility. Oh, and incidentally, healthcare facility obviously does come in an MC and an AC form. Uh, with AC cable, it already has a small conductor already installed in it. Um, and so that is UL4. And the armor already qualifies as an effective ground fault current path. But it usually only has a black and a white conductor in it. Let's just say if it's a two conductor AC cable. And in order to make that a healthcare facility, since the armor already qualifies, all we have to do is put an insulated equipment granite conductor in there. And voila, now you have a healthcare facility AC. All right. MC cable. In order to make it healthcare facility, normal MC comes with a, 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 an equipment grounding conductor in there. In this case, since we want it to eventually be an HCF, uh, then we would put an insulated equipment grounding conductor. And that's mostly what you're going to see in the small branch circuit MC cables anyway. It's an insulated green equipment grounding conductor. And now we need to get that armor to be utilized as an effective ground fault current path in order to qualify under 517.13a. So what do we do? We put that 10 gauge is normally what you're going to get in a 12 or a 10 conduct uh, 10 gauge um, um, ungrounded conductors inside of a MC cable that's being used like this. And that 10 conductor, that 10 gauge conductor is aluminum, and it comes, it makes intimate contact with all the convolutions. And it, in conjunction with the armor, helps create that effective ground fault current path. So it qualifies under 250.118 as such. And that was 250.118.10A and B together. Uh, and with the insulated inside uh, equipment ground and the outside armor with that 10 grounding slash bonding conductor. Okay. Um, while we're at it, a lot of people ask me, what do you do with that bare grounding and bonding conductor you cut it off you don't need it anymore don't take it into the box it's not necessary you can if you want but you got to make sure that the throat of the fitting can accommodate it along with all the other conductors that need to come in there typically you don't wrap it back against the armor it's too big it's going to change the od of the armor and that's going to mean the fitting is not going to hit fit properly. That's different than AC cable where you can bend that conductor back, uh, that bonding conductor back and it falls into the interstices of the actual cable assembly, right? When you're dealing with the MC type products like that, you don't do that. That 10 gauge, you bend it back uh, parallel with the actual armor and then you just snip it off just inside the profile uh, of where the connector would go on to the armor, just inside the, the inside diameter. And you're done with it. Remember, it's already done its job. It's, it makes intimate contact. Now, you have to use a special fitting. And the special fitting that you're going to use with it, actually actually connect onto it, is an MCI-A fitting. So you specifically want to look for something that says MCI-A. Now, the A could be A for the armor, A for advanced. doesn't really matter. All you have to remember that it is MCI dash in the letter A. And that's going to tell you that that is designed for that fitting to be used with armor that is going to be listed as an effective ground fault current path. So you got to have it. So you can't use regular fittings with one of these healthcare facilities or even one of the smart ground ones cables that are using the armor itself. Okay. Okay. So that's the first rule. All right. So. What we've done is we've met that because that product now meets 250.11810. We're utilizing A and B. And so that 
means that we have the insulated equipment ground and we also have the armor that's qualifying as well under 250.118. So we met the armor aspect of it. So in his question, could he run PVC material and run something that's rated for direct burial over and up into the actual uh, dental chair? And the answer is absolutely 100% yes. Just because there's PVC on it doesn't remove the fact that the armor itself qualifies under 517.13a. And it doesn't remove the fact that it also has the insulated equipment ground in it under 517.13b. It doesn't remove that fact. Typically, you're going to leave the PVC jacketing material on it where it's in that wet location. Once it transitions over into the dry location, and of course you want to protect it against physical damage as it comes up into the area underneath the chair, let's say. Uh, once you get there, um, then you could strip off the PVC material if you want. It's, it's now in a dry location. And theoretically, um, you could go on and terminate it. You wouldn't need a special wet location type of fitting. Okay, uh, so um, But you're still going to need an MCI-A fitting because you still have the armor and the equipment grounding conductor component here. And you still need to make sure that fitting is listed for this type of application. It's been tested as being part of an effective ground fault current path. They kind of work together. So the manufacturers of those fittings have thoroughly tested that fitting out in order to be able to carry enough potential ground fault current in order to facilitate the operation of the overcurrent protective device if necessary. Okay? All right. So you've got all that. And uh, so the answer to this question was most certainly I still haven't, you know, I haven't violated the rules of 570.13 A and B. I've got an insulated equipment ground. We haven't even looked at B yet, but I'm just kind of throwing it out there. Uh, so his next question was, what if I wanted to put Schedule 80 all the way uh, in kind of as a sleeve and just sleeve this PVC jacketed uh, MC uh, healthcare facility? Um, and, and incidentally, again, you can get a healthcare facility MC and you can have it PVC uh covered and it's not a problem it's probably a special order but it is available nothing in the rules of UL 1569 says you can't and there's nothing in the code that says you can't the wiring method is of itself now you're what you're doing is you're actually sleeving it for protection and if you want to do that that's fine now what you can't do is put regular uh, MC in this application because it's a wet location and MC products aren't designed for wet location. They're dry location products. Uh, but a PVC jacketed MC could very well go into it. Now once you transition out of this protective uh, conduit, uh, the PVC, uh, then you, tra you can transition and can keep on going. You still have met the requirements of 517.13 A and B. You still met it. Okay. Alright. So that's the key. And I think sometimes people want to overanalyze that. Uh, and uh, if you think about it from a logical sense, if I put it in PVC, I'm, I have even less chance of coming in contact with it. Granted, all the other bonding components have to take place. I have to still use an MCI-A fitting. I still have to bond it accordingly underneath the, the dental chair and in back in the panel where it's coming from. I still got to do all the fundamental principles that we have to follow in our grounding and bonding. Uh, but here we're simply, and there's nothing within the code that says that I cannot run an MC cable within a raceway. Now, if I'm doing it for protection, then I'm doing it uh, and I don't have to worry about any uh, raceway fill issues with it. Okay, to make sure I have to install it so I don't damage it as I, as I pull it in there. All right? But there's no rules that say I don't, I, I'm, that I'm constricted from doing that application. Okay. All right. Um, so at the end of the day, if he wanted to, and in this case, he just wanted to sleeve the portion in the ground and up, you know, I guess for pulling in later or whatnot. And the moment where it comes out of the panel, it wants to transition and go into uh, a PVC raceway and then go down and over and then it pops up underneath the chair because that's how they did it for a rough end. Uh, and that's fine. Once it comes up, you got. You're still going to have to meet all your bonding, the fitting, the bonding of the raceway. You're going to have to do um, of the cable. You're going to have to do everything you normally had to do, okay? Uh, but it's very common, and it's not a problem. Again, it does have to be the PVC jacketed type in the portion that's in the raceway, okay? Because that is considered a wet location.
All right, so then we get on to B, which says insulated equipment, granite conductors, and insulated equipment bonding jumpers. Uh, it goes into A, number one, general. It says the following shall be directly connected to an insulated copper. Okay, so here we got a copper requirement. Equipment granite conductor that is clearly identified along its entire length by green insulation and installed with installed with the branch circuit conductors okay so it's got to be installed with the branch circuit conductors in the wiring method as provided in 517.13a so again another person asked me one time if i did the sleeve of pvc and could i pull in a separate equipment granite conductor in there not to meet this provision you're not it needs to be with the branch circuit conductors in the wiring method described and in this case described above at A, and you were actually, the wiring method was the PVC jacket at MC, okay? So it has to be with that. Now, it goes on to say, you have one, two, and three here, okay? Um, and it goes on to say, one, the grounding terminals of all receptacles other than isolated ground receptacles, okay? So other than the isolated ground receptacles, then all of the, that not, um, Insulated equipment grounding conductor is going to have to make connection to those uh, grounding terminal of all receptacles, period, okay? And, it, and there's some exceptions down here, but it says all receptacles, period, okay? Other than those that would be isolated ground receptacles. So that's pretty simple. So keep it in layman's terms. Um, every receptacle that's dealing with this application in this patient care space are going to have to have a connection to this insulated equipment granite conductor that's being run with this wiring method except for those that might be isolated ground receptacles which are going to be defined by the uh, whoever the actual uh, governing body is in that location next it says the connection also has to be made to metal outlet boxes metal device boxes or metal enclosures okay so any outlet boxes that are installed again we're still dealing in the patient care space so i don't want you to lose sight of that uh, any metal device boxes uh, or metal enclosures now that device box could be a switch box for a switch that's in here and you're going to see an exception here in a minute but just kind of keep that in mind it's very broad if you're dealing with a metal device box of metal uh, I had people send me actual emails and say Paul what about a plastic box and my response to that was really um, and I, I think I actually said that to him I said really uh, it says metal um, okay um, but you know I don't like to talk down to anybody I mean I was I, th I thought he was really joking so I was maybe I wasn't being mean I just said really I mean just and he goes no nah, no nah, I was just joking um, so metal outlet boxes, metal device boxes, and metal enclosures if they happen to be in that patient uh, care space. Item number three. It says all non-current carrying conductive surfaces of fixed electrical equipment likely to become energized that are subject to personal contact operating at over a thousand volts. Okay. So again, all non-current carrying conductive surfaces of fixed electrical equipment likely to become energized and that um, energized that are subject to physical contact operating at over, excuse me, I said a thousand, God, I can, how many people out there freak out when I said that? They just think they, they freaked out and said, did he say thousand volt? I probably did. I probably did. I, probably, I saw that. I was looking at the thousand and thinking it was in my bank account, and it's not. A uh, hundred volts. <laughs> so that's going to apply to all of your one twenty volt applications there. All of the for all intensive purposes, all the applications there. Again, uh, non current carrying conductive surfaces are fixed electrical equipment that operate uh, uh, less than a hundred. I don't qualify. All right. So dental chair. If it was metal, the base, and all this kind of stuff, uh, it's fixed. Um, it's probably got electric stuff tied to it or whatever. Um, uh, if that's electrical equipment. Yeah, and obviously, what could become energized? All right, well, if it's metal and it's electrical and I got the, the daggone branch circuit going to it, there's a good chance it could become energized. I mean, some people can argue that, but I'm going to use the general common sense rule is is if it's uh if it's got circuit going to it 
um, and uh, it's got electricity running to it, and it's metal. Uh, it's not supposed to carry current. It's not a conductor that carries typical current, but it's likely to be energized if some something could happen. Okay, you be your own judge of that. But again, if I've got a, something going to a metal object, and it's and it's uh, it's likely it could happen. All right, so now we have three exceptions here. Uh, exception number one says, okay, look, for other than isolated ground receptacles, okay, so for other than those, it says an insulated equipment bonding jumper that directly connects to the equipment grounding conductor is permitted to connect the box and the receptacle to the equipment grounding conductor. Okay, so you can have a uh, equipment bonding conductor it's permitted to connect the box to the actual receptacle. So you can have a jumper over to that. Okay, not a problem. Again, it's, you know, other than isolated ground applications, uh, as long as it's an insulated equipment bonding jumper, that's that's fine, depending on how you want to use it. Um, the exception number two, it says metal face plates shall be permitted to be connected to the equipment grounding conductor by means of a metal mounting screw securing the faceplate to the grounded outlet box or grounded de- uh, wire device. So the metal faceplate uh, is connected through the screws to the actual device and that's fine. That's considered bonding. Uh, that, that means the metal faceplate is all done. You don't have anything to worry about. Okay. Other than that, that might be one seriously awkward connection to make. So, again, if you're using a metal faceplate, my recommendation would be to use metal mounting screws uh, as you secure that faceplate to the grounded outlet box or the grounded wiring device. Okay, that'd just be my advice. Uh, And then exception number three says, um, okay, well, luminaires are electrical equipment. Um, so luminaires that are more than seven and a half feet above the floor and switches located outside of the patient care vicinity shall be permitted to be connected to an equipment grounding con- uh, uh, connected to an equipment grounding return path complying with 517.13 a or B okay? So A or B means that it could connect to the wire or it could simply be metal raceway to metal box. I don't have to do anything special. I just make that connection. So if the luminaires, uh, the exception to this rule is for luminaires that are more than seven and a half feet above the floor. Okay. So if your luminaire is, is more than seven and a half feet, if it's an eight foot ceiling, typically is what we got then I don't have to worry about the redundancy requirement here because it is above, it's, it's above uh, seven and a half feet. Okay, above the floor. All right. And it also has a big and in there, and it says, okay, you know, what about the switches for different types of luminaires and different types of switches that you might have? Well, okay. If the switches are located outside of the patient care vicinity, well, they might not necessarily be outside of the patient care space, but they're outside of the patient care vicinity. Well, what was that? Well, that's why it's important to know what the heck a patient care vicinity is, right? And that is uh, up to, you know, when you look at the, the definition of patient care vicinity, we're able to know that a patient care vicinity has an actual defined space. And it's six feet from the treatment area or patient, uh, the treatment or the examination area vertically six and a uh, seven foot six inches above the floor and out six feet so if this switch is located outside the patient care vicinity then it shall be permitted to be connected to an equipment grounding return path complying with 517.13 a or b so if it's just you always have to have an equipment grounding conductor it could be of the raceway it could be of the wire type that's inside of the raceway, A or B. Either one. No requirement for redundancy for those items. It's just A or B, whichever one you want to use. You don't have to meet A or B. Okay? Um, so, good thing, because if my luminaires and my switches are outside of it, and my luminaires are outside of the space or above seven and a half feet, 
then I don't need any special requirement to have the redundancy here. Okay. A lot of people ask that question. Okay. But the exception is pretty clear. Now, can I do the can I do a healthcare facility version and, and have the redundancy? Sure. If you want, go for it. I mean, you already got it. You already bought it. You, you want to use it? That's fine. It's not no harm, no foul. Um, but it's it's not required for that application. Now, sizing. Equipment grounding conductors and equipment bonding jumpers shall be sized in accordance with 250.122. And again, most of you by now should know that 250.122 is all based on the size of the overcurrent protective device that's protecting the circuit itself. Okay. And uh, again, depending on the this, this, this size we're dealing with. All right. Um, Good news is MC Cable is going to come with a properly sized equipment grounding conductor for its intended use. Okay, so it's a 12 gauge conductors in there. It's going to be protected at a 20 amp, uh, 14 gauge protected at a 15, uh, and then ultimately that's going to send you to 250.122, and you're going to see that typically uh, that the 12 would be also a 12 EGC. Okay, for example of that. So kind of we take care of that as a manufacturer of wiring cable, so you don't have to worry about it. All right, so that's uh, kind of the it. So to answer the gentleman's question, um, if you want to run PVC jacket at MC in the ground portion of it, as you come up into underneath the, the dental chair and you come up into that space where you do all the wiring, as long as you do all your grounding and bonding in accordance with two, Article 250, um, you're good to go. Um, can I strip off the PVC once it gets into a dry location? Absolutely. That's what you like to do. Um that's perfectly fine. If I stub PVC uh, in the ground over and up into the bottom of the area where, you know, the bottom of the chair, let's say, or whatever, um, can I pull PVC jacketed MC over into it, up into it? Uh, certainly can, as long as that PVC jacketed MC is also healthcare facility as well, and all you did was PVC jacketed. Um, that's perfectly fine. Remember, the key here is the cable itself has to meet the qualifications of 517.13 A and B. Not something that you sleeve it in to protect it. That's just there for protection. Uh, the other question that I get asked a lot is the um, green armor or labels green on the actual healthcare facility cable. And there is no rule. No different than if I were to run EMT for this application. Do you think that I got to run green EMT? Absolutely not. Could you if you wanted to? Yeah, they make that stuff in all kinds of colors now. It looks cute, right? But do I have to? Absolutely not. Do inspectors sometimes make you put these green labels on it or make you have a green colored armor? Yeah. Should they? Absolutely not. That's really going over and above their allowances. They can, yeah, they can make rules up. I was an inspector for many, many years. I was a head of two large jurisdictions. Can you make people do stuff? Yes, you can until they call your bluff. Once they call your bluff and they go to, like I'm the supervisor, and then somebody calls me, my response to my inspector is, First of all, you can never fail somebody unless you can show them the code. Don't fail them because somebody failed you in the past if you were a contractor. You have to back everything up with code. Now, if your interpretation is different than him uh, and there becomes an argument, there's a simple process for that. Go to your supervisor and say, look, I need you to give me your impartial interpretation. And don't tell them your opinion. Present both sides and see what their opinion is. And let the chips fall where they may. Okay? Just keep it keep it real. Most supervisors I know want to protect our inspectors, but we want to do what's right. And so we're not going to try to create code. That's just the... Uh, I never was good for that. I never liked that. I don't... If I can't back it up in the code, then I can't fail you. I can't fail you for something. Remember, the NEC is not an installation document. It's not an installation manual. I know it's starting to give you a lot of rules, and it looks like an installation document. Uh, but it's really a safety standard, a minimally safe installation. That's all it deals with. Can I go above and beyond the minimum? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can I take it to the next level? Absolutely. Am I required to? Absolutely not. That's up to the installer to determine that level. It's up to the designer. If they want to design it to a next level, perfectly acceptable. Okay. Anyway, that's our show for today, guys. It was an hour long. I hope you got something out of it. 
Uh, if you have any questions, please feel free to email me at info at masterthenec.com. Ask all your questions. Visit our websites, masterthenec.com, electricalcodeacademy.com. Uh, those are also available at .net and .org as well. Visit our website. Visit our Google uh, Google us and find us on um, YouTube and all those good things. Uh, give us a thumbs up if you feel like it. Um, and uh, until next time, folks, stay safe. God bless. And keep your questions coming. I love them. I love having these conversations. Till next time, stay safe. Every day the future's getting closer. Every day the future's looking bright. Every day is another beginning.